0: On this episode of Black Girl Gone, we share the story of Asia Adams, a 21-year-old college student from Philadelphia who was brutally murdered in her home by someone she thought she could trust. Asia's murder devastated her mother and the neighborhood she came from. Her story serves as a warning for other young women, because can you ever really trust anybody? This is Asia's story. In 2004, 21-year-old Asia Adams was a student at Westchester University, a school located just outside Philadelphia where Asia had grown up. Asia lived with her mom, Sheila, who she was very close to. She was Sheila's only child, and that made their relationship really special. And I really related to that because I, too, am an only child. And growing up with just you and your mom really creates a unique bond, and Asia and Sheila were no different. Asia was a bright young woman who had dreams of being a nurse. And after attending Pin Charter High School, a private school in Philadelphia where she had been given a scholarship to attend, she went on to attend Westchester University after receiving a scholarship to that school also. She continued to be a great student while at Westchester, and Asia was described by her school as being a mentor and someone who really just added to the campus and the culture at the school. In November 2004, Asia is getting ready for midterms. It's now her junior year at Westchester University, and she's getting prepared for her final semesters as an undergrad. The weekend of November 5th, however, Asia decided that she was going to go home for the weekend. And when you go to school that close to home, it's really not unusual to go home for the weekend. And Asia was close to her mom, so she probably made that trip home a lot. But this weekend's trip had a different motive. Asia's mom, Sheila, was actually going to be out of town that weekend, so she wasn't going home to see her mom. As a matter of fact, she kind of didn't even tell her mom that she was going home. And Asia's not a kid at this point. I mean, she's 21 years old. She's a college junior. She's an adult. So, therefore, she may not have told her mom, you know, or felt the need to tell her mom that she was coming home. Um, and the reason why she was coming home was probably more than why she didn't tell her mom that she was To be coming home. Asia had decided to take a weekend trip home to Philadelphia. And the reason why is because she wanted to spend some alone time with a guy that she had been dating. And he was a guy that she had met the summer before, and his name was Napoleon. Now, Napoleon is not described by anyone close to Asia as her boyfriend. And I get the impression that they were like dating, you know, kind of like. You know, they were talking, you know, like back in the day, like we we talked to each other, but I don't really get the impression that they either one of them were telling people like this is my boyfriend, this is my girlfriend, because no one in Asia's life really considers him as her boyfriend. So as far as reporting states, Napoleon Asia spend the weekend together at her mom's house. And when Sunday came, Asia needed to go back to school for class that week. However, Asia never made it back to Westchester University. In fact, she never left her home again after that weekend. On Monday, November 8th, 2004, the Monday after Asia spent the weekend at home, at around 12.08 PM, police and fire are called to reports of smoke coming from the second floor of a home on a residential street in the Germantown section of Philadelphia. And when police and fire arrive, there is smoke pouring from the second floor of the home. firefighters are able to get the fire under control, but when they enter the home on the second floor where the smoke had been coming from, they make a gruesome discovery. On a charred mattress was the half-naked body of a woman. The body was burned significantly, and there was no way to immediately identify who the victim was. Police and firefighters immediately try to figure out who the victim was. They were able to obtain information that the homeowner's name was Sheila Harper. And at first, police think that the victim may be Sheila Harper. But they soon find out that Sheila Harper was away for the weekend, and police don't know if she has returned. Police then learn that Sheila has a daughter, Asia. But neighbors tell investigators that Asia was away at school. Now, Asia's story was recently featured on an episode of Homicide City, which is a show that features murders in the city of Philadelphia. And in that episode, Sheila Harper's neighbor, the one who called 911 to report the fire, stated that there was no way that Asia would have been home without her mom being there. But at this time, she's also unaware that the police have found a body inside the home. So she also tells police that right before she saw the smoke coming from the home, that she heard the door to Sheila's home open and close, but she didn't see anyone come or go. Now, while investigators outside are questioning potential witnesses and trying to gather information about the homeowner, of the home and who the victim in the bedroom may be, police and investigators inside the house are trying to figure out if this fire was accidental or intentional. They quickly learned that the fire wasn't electrical, You know, there was no wires exposed, outlets were intact, and the burn patterns didn't indicate that it was caused by careless smoking. So with all of the obvious signs or common causes of a house fire eliminated, the evidence that police are gathering from this scene is telling them that this fire was probably intentionally set. Investigators start to focus on the burn patterns on the mattress, and they soon discover that these burn patterns are consistent with an accelerant being used. And what we know is that when an accelerant is used and a body is found, one plus one usually equals a murder. So when police and fire discovered the body, it was laying face down. But when the coroner comes, they turn the body over so that they could examine the victim. And they find that the victim's throat has been slit and she has multiple stab wounds to the head and chest. So now there is no question that the fire was not only intentionally set, but it was set to cover up a murder. Up until this point, the people in the neighborhood Asia lived in did not know that a body had been found inside the home. But once police discovered the wounds to the body and declared a homicide, the homicide detectives were called to the scene. Now this neighborhood is no stranger to violence. It's usually gun violence and predominantly young black male victims. So people in this section of the city know exactly what homicide detectives look like. Neighbors are beginning to ask questions. You know, they want to know what happened and why the homicide detectives are there for what they thought was just a house fire. But police are being pretty tight-lipped because they still have not identified the victim. You know, they know that the home was owned by Sheila Harper, but they were told that she was out of town and police have been unable to verify if she had gone out of town. And if she had gone out of town, they didn't know whether or not she had come back because is not answering the phone. Now, police in the neighborhood soon speak to a neighbor who reveals that they actually saw Asia that weekend, Saturday specifically, and that she was at home. And she was 100% sure that it was Asia. And it's then that police learned that Asia had actually come home that weekend, and it was very likely that she was the victim in the home. Now, this is all confirmed when Sheila Harper arrives home from her trip, because now police know for sure that she is not their victim. But Sheila Harper's life pretty much felt like it ended that day. Because when they tell her that they found a body in the front bedroom of her home, she knew that it could only be her only child. When police spoke to Sheila, she was surprised to know that her daughter was home. She told police that it wasn't like Asia to just come home and not tell her she wasn't going to be there. And police asked Sheila if Asia had a boyfriend and Sheila tells them no, that she doesn't have a boyfriend at this time but she did have an ex-boyfriend who she had dated in high school but she said the two had broken up when they went their separate ways and went to different colleges and you know they had been together for years but you know they weren't now and there wasn't really anything that indicated otherwise for Sheila so when police began their investigation they don't have any real suspects or people of interest The police start to look into Asia's life. You know, They wanted to see if there was anything about her, or perhaps maybe the things that she was into that could have contributed to her death. And police began by searching the home where Asia's body was found, but they were unable to find any evidence inside the house. The smoke from the fire had pretty much covered the home in soot. So they couldn't find any fingerprints or DNA in the home which for investigators trying to figure out what happened is really not a good sign. But then they found Asia's purse. And questions about an unclear motive began to come into focus. And inside Asia's purse, police find her wallet, but there's no money in the wallet, and her debit card was also gone. The discovery of Asia's moneyless wallet has the detectives believing that this was possibly a robbery. But they're really unsure because there's no forced entry and there's no other sign that anything else was taken from the home. So robbery was a possibility, but who did it and how was still unclear. When Aisha's body was found, she was partially nude. She was wearing a black bra and the remnants of what was a red sweater, but nothing on her bottom. And when a woman is found murdered and naked, police usually automatically assume that the death could have been sexually motivated. And so police start to theorize that Asia was sexually assaulted, murdered, and then robbed. But the medical examiner would draw a different conclusion. And when an autopsy is performed, they find out that although Asia's death was violent and that she was alive for most of the attack, she was not sexually assaulted. And she also died before the fire was set in the home. Now, this catches police completely off guard because they thought for sure that Asia was naked because she had been assaulted. But with no evidence of rape or sexual assault, cops didn't understand why she was half naked in a bed when they found her. And if rape wasn't a motive, then what was? Was Asia just killed in a simple robbery going wrong? And if so, why was the murder so heinous if the killer just wanted her cash and debit cards? So the only lead that police had at this point was the ex-boyfriend, potentially, whom Sheila had told them about and Asia had dated in high school. But when the cops run a background check on him, he was completely clean, like no criminal history, not even a speeding ticket. And so police pretty much rule him out really quickly. And once police are able to rule out the ex as a possible suspect, they're back to square one looking for a new lead. But when a friend of Asia's name Alexis sits down with police to answer a few questions, she introduces them to the name Napoleon. Now, up until this point, police had not known about the existence of Napoleon. As far as they knew, Asia did not have a boyfriend, and her mom did not mention the name Napoleon. So they had no idea who Napoleon was, and neither did Sheila. Now, when Alexis tells police about Napoleon, her description sends up red flags for investigators. You know, Alexis makes it clear that Napoleon was not Alexis' boyfriend, and he was someone that she had been casually dating for only a few months, and it was really on and off. And, but more than that, she tells police that Asia was not home alone that weekend. And police learned for the first time that Asia had came home to spend the weekend with Napoleon. So Alexis tells detectives that she called Asia on Saturday and that she could hear Napoleon in the background. So she knows for a fact that Napoleon was there at some point that weekend. Now, Alexis, however, does not seem to know much else about Napoleon. I mean, her friend had only been seeing him for a few months, so Asia probably didn't even really know that much about him either, honestly. I mean, he was someone that they all had hung around, and, you know, that's kind of how it is at that point in life. Like, when you're in college, you know, your circle of friends is usually like really big, and, you know, some people you know really well and some people you don't, and, you know, that's kind of like really the college life. So, you know, That's how they met, and so not knowing him very well is not really that strange, you know, given how old they are and, you know, being college students. But police are now curious about Napoleon, and at this point, as far as they know, he was potentially the last person to see Asia alive. So finding Napoleon becomes top priority because even if he wasn't involved, he may have answers to lead them to whoever was responsible for Asia's murder. But without a last name, police have a hard time trying to figure out who Napoleon is and where he was. The police decide that they should go to Westchester University because that's where Asia had been living, after all. You know, that's where she had been and that's where all her stuff was. So they were hoping by going there that they would be able to find out more information about who Napoleon was and what his relationship with Asia was like. Police search Asia's dorm room for any information that might help them. I mean, they looked through all of her things. And they soon came across a journal that Asia had written. And in that journal, police find a poem by Asia about Napoleon. Now, the poem indicates that Asia's feelings for Napoleon are deeper than just someone she's casually dating. She seemed to be in love with him. In the episode of Homicide City, the detectives described the poem as her being infatuated with him. And they said it's clear that he definitely had some kind of hold over her. Now, Asia has nothing bad to say about Napoleon, so there's nothing to indicate that there were any issues between the two. But they only knew what Asia had written about Napoleon. They didn't know if the feeling was mutual. Meanwhile, Sheila, Asia's devastated mother, is also looking for answers. And Sheila started going through bank statements from Asia's bank account, and she discovers a series of really suspicious withdrawals on the account. And these transactions were made the day that Asia's body was found burning on the second floor of her home. And so according to Sheila, there are multiple withdrawals, and they're all for $200. Because apparently you couldn't get out more than $200 at a time. So whoever had made these withdrawals had to have made them at different times, at different ATMs. And they had, in fact, gone to six different ATMs in order to make these withdrawals. So with this information, Sheila immediately calls the investigators to tell them what she's found. And this is welcome news for the detectives because this information could potentially be a break in the case. With information about Asia's debit card being used, police can get surveillance camera footage from those ATMs, and that would of course help lead them to a suspect. But whoever stole Asia's debit card knew that the police would be able to pull footage of them. So they strategically used ATMs that they knew didn't have cameras. And this is really frustrating for police because not only did they think that this would be a huge break in the case, they also now know that whoever they are searching for is not an inexperienced criminal. Anyone who would take the time out to go to ATMs where they knew there wouldn't be any cameras probably has done this before. With the ATMs yielding no information, the police decide to try to go back to the beginning and pour over interviews that they had done in the hours and days immediately following Asia's murder. Now, maybe they had missed something that someone had said and now may stick out to them a few days later. And that's exactly what happened. Because police noticed that another name is mentioned a few times in those interviews. And that name is Simeon The Simeon Bozick was someone who was apparently friends with Napoleon. And when Asia met Napoleon that previous summer, he was with Simeon. Now when police look into Simeon's background to find out more about him and his background, they see that he's not exactly a model citizen. There are multiple things listed on Simeon's record, including theft. So police now know that they need to speak to Simeon. Not only could he lead them to Napoleon, who up until this point had managed to escape them, he might himself be involved. The detectives go to speak to Simeon. There was an address listed on his arrest record. When the detectives knocked on the door, a woman answered the door, and it was Simeon's mom. And when police tell her that they are looking for him in connection to a homicide, Simeon's mom drops a bombshell. She tells them that, number one, there's no way that her son would be involved with anything like that and that they should go and speak to Napoleon. She tells police that they should actually go and speak to Napoleon's wife. Yes, wife. So apparently the man that Asia had been dating and seemed to be pretty into was married. So if the police were already convinced that Napoleon was somehow involved in what happened to Asia, this revelation that he was married solidifies for them that they are searching for the right person. Simeon's mother gives police Napoleon's wife's name, but like Napoleon, she did not have a last name. All that she knew was that her first name was April and that she was a jazz singer in Philadelphia. But with this new lead, police began to try to track down April. And after making some calls to local jazz clubs around the city, police learned that April's last name, uh, is Strode, and armed with that information, they were able to track down Napoleon's wife. Now, when detectives find April, she ironically lives in the same section of the city as Asia did, not far from where Asia's home was. And so detectives speak to April, and she helps to paint a really full picture of who Napoleon really was. First, she tells police that her and Napoleon are no longer together. They had only been married for about a year, but she left him because he was emotionally abusive. Like, he would lie to her, he would, you know, gaslight her, and he was manipulative. But the final straw for her was when it got physical, and he cut her arm with a knife that he carried. She also tells police that his name is not Napoleon. His real name is Thomas. Thomas Strode. Apparently, Napoleon was just a name that he sometimes used. You know, a nickname, an alias. A lot of people knew him by Napoleon, but that was not his real name. So after speaking to April, Napoleon, who we will refer to by his real name for the rest of the story, Thomas, was now the primary primary suspect in the brutal murder of Asia Adams. So now the police know his real name, police find out that like Simeon, Thomas Strode also has a long rap sheet. But what they couldn't find was where Thomas lived. So they had more information than they did just a few days ago about their suspect, but they still couldn't find him. That was until police received a phone call. And on the other end of that call was Simeon Bozick. He knew that police were looking for him, and he was ready to tell his side of the story. When Simeon comes into police headquarters, the detectives working the case aren't sure what Simeon is going to say. But Simeon begins to tell a story that would shock even the most hardened detectives. Simeon tells police that Thomas and Asia had been hanging out at Asia's house on the Sunday before Asia's body was discovered. And according to him, Thomas had been at Asia's house since Friday. But on Sunday, the three of them were hanging out watching TV. Everything was fine. But at some point later in the evening, Asia told the two men that they had to go because, of course, it's Sunday and Asia needs to go back to campus. And she's obviously not going to leave these men in her mom's house and go back to school. So she tells them that they got to go. And when Simeon says Asia left the living room where they were all watching TV and went upstairs to pack her things for her trip back to school, that Thomas started to get angry. And Simeon tells detective that Thomas, for whatever reason, is really upset that Asia asked him to leave. Which lets you know what kind of narcissist he is. Because otherwise, why would you be upset? Like, this is Asia's mother's home. He knew... That she was a student at Westchester University, he knew that she was only home that weekend to see him, and he knew that she had always planned to go back to school. So why would he think that she would either, number one, stay in Philadelphia for him, or number two, that he would be allowed to stay in her mother's house without her being there? But like a ticking time bomb, Thomas explodes while Asia is upstairs. Simeon tells investigators that Thomas says to him something along the lines of, like, I should kill her or I could kill her. And even though Simeon had been friends with Thomas and knew him really well, he said he didn't think that Thomas was being serious because apparently he had a strange sense of humor. Simeon then goes on to tell detectives that when Asia came back downstairs, that she started to put the alarm on the house to secure it for when she left. Simeon said that at that point, he turned to leave, but then he heard the alarm to the house going off. He then turns back to see that Thomas has hit Asia in the head with what he described as a sculpture. He said that Asia was crying and asking Thomas why he was doing this to her. He described her screams as hysterical. Thomas then, according to Simeon, pulls out a knife from his pocket and plunges it into Asia's chest. Simeon says that he wanted to leave at that moment, but he says that Thomas looked at him and said, don't go anywhere or I'll kill you. Simeon claimed that he was afraid of Thomas, so he stayed. Thomas then took Asia by her ankles and drug her to the basement where he stripped off her pants and underwear and set her in a chair. But Thomas didn't strip Asia of her bottoms for sexual reasons. He did it to humiliate her. And the two take turns hitting Asia in the head with a shovel. Simeon's story is that he was too scared of Thomas not to do what he was told. And so he proceeded to participate in this gruesome attack on a woman that had done nothing to either of them. Simeon, who was allegedly scared, even laughed a little bit while he was recounting how Thomas took the shovel from him because he, quote, wasn't doing a good enough job. And then Thomas proceeded to beat Asia in the head until she was unconscious. Once Asia is unconscious, Thomas then goes upstairs to the kitchen to get a bigger knife. And then the two take turns both cutting Asia's throat. After the pair beat Asia, cut her throat, and left her to die in the basement of her home, they stole $500 out of her wallet along with her debit card that they used to then drain her bank account of $700. And then they took her money and went out for a night of fun, living it up, going on shopping sprees, spending Asia's money while she lay dying alone in a cold, dark basement. The next day, according to Simeon, they both returned to Asia's home, and when they arrived, Asia was already dead. They wrapped her body in a blanket and took her body upstairs and laid it in the bedroom where she was found. Simeon told police that Thomas told him to leave and then set the house on fire. Simeon said he walked around the block and when he returned to the home, He saw smoke coming from the second floor. So Simeon had confessed, but he claimed that Thomas was the mastermind and that he only participated because of his fear of Thomas. So after Simeon tells detectives the story about how he and his friend brutally murdered Asia, he tells them that they can find Thomas at yet another woman's house. Apparently he had another girlfriend too. SWAT apprehends Thomas Strode after he surrenders, but when detectives speak to him, he of course has a completely different story. Thomas tells police that it was Simeon who killed Asia, and he was just somehow an innocent bystander. He claimed that an argument had begun and Simeon got angry and killed Asia. Now, he never explains really what the argument is about, but he claims that it was about Simeon being there and... You know, it was all made up, but this was his version of events that that they had gotten to an argument because of Simeon, and Simeon got angry. But detectives don't believe him. They have Simeon's confession, in which Simeon does not only implicate Thomas, but he implicates himself. And police have all of the evidence that they need to arrest Thomas Strode in the murder of Asia Adams. Thomas Strode and Simeon Bozek were arrested 10 days after Asia Adams' murder. They were charged with first-degree murder and Simeon agreed to testify against Thomas. But even at trial, Thomas continued to deny involvement and his attorneys presented a case that placed the murder solely on Simeon. Simeon, on the other hand, tried to convince a jury that he was so scared of Thomas that he hit Asia and stabbed her and went out on a shopping street with her money because he was scared. Neither juries were convinced, and both men were convicted and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. The police never really found out the real reason that Thomas Strode and Simeon Bozik decided to kill Asia that night. It could have been because they wanted to rob her, or it could have just been because Thomas and Simeon were psychopaths. But either way, Asia let these men into her home and they killed her. They were not strangers. She had feelings for Thomas. So how must it have felt for her to watch him attack her? She had just spent the weekend with this person. She thought that she could trust him and he killed her. How many of us could have been Asia? That's what I keep asking myself. Like all of these stories hit home in different ways, but this story really stuck with me. I lived in the same neighborhood that Asia did. I went to a state university where I got a scholarship. I've been alone with people I barely knew. Asia was doing all the right things. She was young, she was in college, she was a good student, and she didn't deserve what happened to her. I mean, no one does, but Asia was a good girl. And her killers were caught and convicted, but there are still so many questions. Asia's mom turned her grief into activism, and she started an organization called Asia Adams Save Our Children Foundation, and it's an organization that educates young women and young men about dating violence. But most people don't know the story of what happened to Asia Adams. While doing research for this case, there was such little information to gather about the murder and the trial that followed that I was afraid that I wouldn't have enough information to really make a full episode about her story. And that was frustrating because I can name off the top of my head like five young non-people of color in the city who were college students who may have murdered or gone missing. And when you Google their names, article after article, news clip after news clip comes up about them and their story. But not Asia. Why wasn't Asia Adams' story worthy of national nude headlines? The memory of Asia Adams lives on through her mother, her friends, and her family. Westchester University started a scholarship in Asia's name to honor the young woman whose life ended way too soon. And although her murderers will never walk free again, it kind of doesn't feel like justice because Asia Adams should have never been murdered. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We'll be back next week with a brand new story. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave us a rating and let us know what you think. Seeking the truth never gets old.